May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The title of this sermon is, Is There Life After Death? And uh, the occasion for it was um, made uh, possible by a grant from the Lilly Foundation. (laughs) No, Uh, the occasion uh, for it was made possible by a remark that uh, Mary uh, made uh, recently. We were um, uh, finishing watching Ingmar Bergman's uh, remarkable, searing movie, Cries and Whispers, And uh, she uh, turned to me and she said, you know, anyone who doesn't factor in death is a lightweight. Now, I thought that was quite interesting because she didn't say that anyone who factors in death is in some terribly threatening situation or is in some way ignoble or um, in any sense uh, subject to some kind of uh, criticism as much as simply to say anyone who doesn't factor in death is a lightweight. Well, this, um, this question of factoring in death came very arrestingly to my mind while watching an interview that was filmed about five years ago with Ingmar Bergman himself, you know, the arty director of many movies. And Ingmar Bergman was being interviewed in Swedish uh, by a very uh, persistent anchorwoman about his ideas about life and death. He was being interviewed together with Erland Josephson. Don't worry about all these names, but if you've seen any movies ever done by Bergman, you've seen Erland Josephson. He always plays the guy. And Erland Josephson and Ingmar Bergman were being persistently pressed by an interviewer as to what their ideas were about death. And it became quite apparent rapidly that Erland Josephson is a lightweight, famous as he is in Sweden, and um, Ingmar Bergman is no lightweight because while Erland Josephson, who, like Bergman, is in his mid-80s, didn't want to talk about it, he kept dismissing it, he kept kind of being funny, he kept being kind of putting off her comments. He just didn't want to think about his own death. But Bergman, on the other hand, said this. He said, well, until a few years ago, I didn't really think about death at all. But then I lost Ingrid. Now, it turns out that despite Bergman's reputation for having been some kind of a ladies' man in the 60s and 70s, In his 50s, Ingmar Bergman met Ingrid, and apparently Ingrid became his true love. And he married Ingrid, and they lived together for 24 years. And then, to the great shock of all narcissistic men who expect to be outlived and cared for by their wives while they are dying, (laughs) 
take your pulse. She, she suddenly contracted cancer and died very, very rapidly, leaving Ingmar Bergman in his late 80s solo. And this is what he says. I have to understand about death and what might lie beyond because I cannot reconcile myself to never seeing Ingrid again. Now, this is the rub. Um, how can I reconcile myself to never seeing the one I have loved again? And uh, he then went on to talk about the way to have peace concerning death is to have a philosophy that gives you hope for life after death. And he sort of became super-duper non-secular Scandinavian. He's no Orthodox Christian, although he grew up in the church. But he said, I simply have to factor in death because I find life without Ingrid, to whom I was married for 24 years, who is my solo conversation partner, to whom I was not once unfaithful. She was my life, and without Ingrid, life is too painful to bear. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know about your life, but unless you factor this in, you're um, going to get to a place of such appalling loneliness that, as Hamlet said, you'll ask the question, shall I or shall I not? Now, the scripture for this sermon is from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, where we read that love never ends. And I want to very briefly try to um, work with you for a minute as to where the powerful hope of eternal life actually exists in real terms. In real terms. And I guess I want to ask the question that the great genius Orson Welles asked in his movie Citizen Kane. Now, I won't take a poll. I'm sure that 85% of the people here have seen Citizen Kane. It's in a really good new Blu-ray. See it. But this movie is a kind of titanic work of art because the um, root of it is to try to understand what is it that I value in life and what is it that if I lose it, I will be totally lost and pained beyond expression? And what is it that if I have it, I know I'm secure? Now, I'm going to speak very universally here. I'm going to imagine in a way that I'm speaking in the National Cathedral and not in the Church of the Advent, because I want to take the net of the question of is there life after death in such a wide way that the great central belief in the resurrection of Christ is able to really reach in to the heart such that we know that when we have love, it never ends. And I want to tell you the story of Citizen Kane and ask you to respond to it in your own head. You know the story. Citizen Kane is a man of extraordinary human gifts. 
He's a young man who inherits so much money that he becomes the richest man in America at age 12. He then uh, is smart. He goes to good colleges and good prep schools, and he becomes a crusading journalist and a man of tremendous liberal, idealistic principles changing the world. And like all men who have liberal, idealistic principles, he slips on the banana peel of his own desire for a relationship. And he marries, to say the least, very badly. And everything is taken away. And you see the story of a man who had everything, and gradually his child is taken away, his first wife is taken away, his second trophy wife is taken away, and the only thing he has left is a monster house. It's the biggest house in California. This monster house. And he finally begins, as his world closes in, to repeat a word. He keeps talking about something called Rosebud. And it turns out that Rosebud, well, you know, Rosebud is the name of a sled that he had when he was seven years old. And this sled symbolizes to him his mother, the fact that he was snatched away from his natural mother at age eight. And he carries a little snow globe around, holding it in his hand until he smashes it and all the water drips down in his fingers because he is completely fixated on the only thing that ever mattered. Not the big house, not the first well-born wife, nor the second hot wife. They both are gone. Not his child, even. He's fixed on where he lost love. And I want to say to you today that if you want to be in touch with that which lies behind the grave, I need to ask you, what is your rosebud? You have one. It, it, It was a lost love. Or it's the person who's sitting next to you right now. Or it's a person whom you know who's not sitting next to you right now. Or it's someone who's dead. It's always a person. It's never a thing. And if you can think right now, what is like Citizen Kane? Who is the person? Whose face do you, like Bergman, wish to see as you are leaving and exiting this world? And if you know who your rosebud is, that is where the life that will never fade is. Um, Anybody remember Portrait of Jenny? Well, um, Portrait of Jenny. Uh, This poor man, Joseph Cotton, he falls in love with a woman who doesn't exist. He falls in love with her when she's seven, when she's 14, when she's 21, and when she's 30. And finally, when she's being swept away in a huge hurricane, she turns to him and she says, Eben, she says, there's only one love. There's only one love. There's only one. And of course, we know that to be God. And when you're in touch with love, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a true cliche. You know who God is. And if you know who your rosebud is, then you know what it's going to be like, that thing which lasts forever, which is the love of God. I'll finish um, by quoting from a mystic. I'm, uh, 
you know, until a few years ago, Christian mystics were not at all my scene. And um, I don't think really they're my scene today. Um, but let us simply say that you live in line. And um, there was a mystic Christian named Meister Eckhart. And he lived in the 12th and 13th centuries. And Meister Eckhart was a monk who said something very, very powerful. And he said, um, if you're looking for God, go back to where you lost him. If you're a person who's looking for God, go back to where you lost him. And that's almost inevitably the rosebud. So if you could get in touch right now with your rosebud, and as I said, he might be sitting next to you, or he might be six feet under, but he's still your rosebud. If, you're, if you can get back to him or to her, you found God again. And that will never change. And that will never alter. And that's exactly what you'll see the moment you die. I asked Moltmann once, very, very brilliant, battle-scarred German professor. He preached right here once. Actually, his wife did. She used a bad word. Um, and uh, I said, Herr Moltmann, after all your experiences in the Battle of the Bulge and in prison of war camps and, and all your theology, what happens when you die? And he said, you go straight to God. And the way you can do that now is hold the rosebud in your hand and you're going straight to God. Dear Heavenly Father, deepen our anchor in that which lies underneath us and around us and therefore ahead of us for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.